7 through 30. We're in the Sermon on the Mount in a series called Redefined because Jesus <coughs> takes his disciples to a mountain and is saying, look, I, w- I need to redefine your values in essence. I, I'm going to be teaching you about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. And he says often in this sermon, you've heard it said before among your own religious teachers, but I say to you, and he's taking the understanding of ethics and kingdom living and the kingdom of God to a much deeper level. This is an extremely practical series as we look at a wide variety of issues and things that Jesus is talking about. This morning he's talking about lust. Next week he'll be talking about marriage and divorce. And this topic of lust, if we're being honest with one another, we've already started that conversation this morning with Tyson. If we're being honest, this is a big one. I mean, it was a big deal in Jesus' day. 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, incredibly conservative culture, traditional culture where women would cover themselves like they do today in the Middle East. Like in Jewish, at least women were covering their heads and they are not dressing scantily. You know, this is a traditional culture. And Jesus issues this very serious warning about lust then. How much more so (laughs) would he speak to us about this topic today? And so we come to this hard and challenging topic where all of us, all of us have guilt. And yet we will be challenged deeply where Jesus writes this. This is God's word for us this morning. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look with a, at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you leave, lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. In the 1930s, there were these three teenage boys that got on a a bus, a city bus, in the city of Detroit. And when they got on, there was only one other person on the bus. It was a a black man sitting in towards the back, and he was kind of hunched over and was sitting in the back of this bus. And these three young youth, these teenagers, got on, and they sat behind him. And during that bus ride, wherever the bus was going, they, they insulted him, and they said racial slurs against him. And they, they said all kinds of awful things to him. And in response to them, he said nothing. He did nothing. He just took it. Let him do it. And then when the bus ride was over, he stood up, and all of a sudden they, they realized, oh no, like this man is huge. Like he loomed over them. This was an enormous man. And he turned to them, and he handed them a card that had just his name on it and a one-word title for his job description. And he walked off the bus, and they picked up this card, and it read, Joe Lewis, boxer. (laughs) They did not know that they were in the presence of something dangerous, somebody powerful. The way he was sitting in the seat, for some reason, he didn't look that big. He didn't look that powerful. And so in their hatred and racism, they felt the freedom to be fools and and awful and evil. And then he stood up, and they realized they're in great, the presence of a great man. Joe Lewis, if you don't know, was the undisputed heavyweight champion between 1937 and 1949. He was one of the most powerful athletes in the entire world and definitely our nation. Amazing man. Jesus 
today is saying similarly, you are in the presence of something very dangerous and you have no idea. And it's the issue of lust. We are in the presence of something incredibly dangerous, especially today. Def- even back then, 2,000 years ago, in a very traditional culture, Jesus said, warning, you're in danger. Where there were no physical images where you could look at another human being. Today, how much more so would Jesus say, you, you're in grave danger. And yet we, people in this culture, all of us, men and women alike, okay, men especially, Men and women alike. Men. Men. Especially us. Are in danger. And Jesus is saying warning. Warning to you. Many of you don't see the danger. Many of you see lust as like a national pastime. Like you're not fighting it. You're given over to it. You think this is just fun. I'm all for this. This is nothing but pleasure to me. You need to know of the dangers. And as a pastor, I get invited to people when they're celebrating the most. Like, you know, one of the great things about being a pastor is you get invited into people's lives at the, the most joyful moments. A birth of a baby. You know, I will get to visit in the hospital and welcome this child in and pray for this child and, and, and celebrate with them. I and mean, who else gets to be there, you know, 24 hours after a baby's born and celebrate? That's awesome. But I'm also invited into moments of people's lives when they're at their worst when a husband is caught in pornography and their family now is facing maybe destruction. This happens every year to me, sometimes multiple times a year. Where a man who feels no danger whatsoever is now caught in an affair or an adulterous relationship or an emotional affair and it begins with lust, it leads to pornography. And then when I say lust today, these two are synonymous, lust, pornography. I mean, these are, these are hand and glove, right? And, and there's danger here, and yet we feel like, oh, there's no danger. We run towards it. We, we move towards it. And, and Jesus says, danger, danger. Lust, pornography, is a dead-end trail. And what's going on there is we are looking for intimacy, a good thing, a, a beautiful thing. But it's a dead end. It's false intimacy. It leads to addiction. It feels intima- in, in, uh, It feels. Uh, innocent, and it feels beautiful, and many of you that are younger and single believe, like, right now, I'm fine with this because I'm not married yet, you know, and I can't commit adultery, I'm not married, so I'm going to dabble in this, I'm going to live in this, and most people think in that state when you're younger and single in particular, like, I'll be able to turn this off like a switch as soon as I get married. Single people have a tendency like, to think that marriage is like a magic wand, like a Harry Potter spell. That, like, as soon as you get married, like, everything that's wrong with you, just zing, like it's, you're just healed. <laughs> All the married people are going, uh-uh. Like, you know, I thought that too, and that's, that's exactly right. Like, I thought that, you, you probably think that if you're single, but everyone who's married here, I can pass the mic today, or, or used to be married, and say, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work, doesn't work, yeah, it doesn't work. Like, you know, it doesn't work, Okay? And here's what else doesn't work. Dabbling with something as addictive as pornography, because if you've done research, it changes your brain. It literally rewires the way that you experience endorphins and pleasure and so forth. And you're hardwired for this. And you don't just flip a switch later and get out of it. Lust gives nothing, and it promises everything. And we're, we're fools for it, all of us. 
Now, I've got good news for you. Sexuality is God's good gift, given to us as a gift. God created it. It's not a dirty word. It feels weird saying it in church, being so bold, but it's not dirty. God has created this gift between a man and a woman, a husband and wife in marriage. It is good. God declares it good. He's the author of it. The problem is we've taken a good thing, distorted it and twisted it, and made it into something it's not meant to be. It's a gift of intimacy. It's a good gift. The problem, though, is false intimacy that we all fall into. Now, God's design for marriage is one flesh. It says in Genesis 2 that God created all things, right, out of nothing, and he declared everything good. He literally put his divine benediction on all of creation. That's good news. Matter is not evil. The earth is not evil. Our physical bodies, not evil. This is not the flesh, according to the Bible. Like, it's literally flesh. But when, when the Bible talks about sin and the flesh, this is not it. It's the heart. Not your physical heart, <laughs> your soul. That's, that's what's broken. God created all things, declared them blessed. There was only one malediction in creation. What was it? That man should not be alone, that Adam was alone. So God created Eve for Adam. One man, one woman, made dating really easy. Like, yeah, we should get married. Like, they do. And it says there in Genesis 2 that the man shall leave his father and mother. Adam didn't really have one, or Eve, but like, and and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, flesh. And Jesus took that passage and amplified it and said, and let what God has joined t- together, let no man tear apart. And so all of a sudden, these Old Testament folks, because that's what these, these people were that Jesus is talking to, have created a scenario where nobody could commit adultery Because they made it so easy to get a divorce. These conservative religious sites, believe it or not, the Pharisees and the scribes created a scenario that if you're a husband, you could divorce your wife for almost any reason. If you're a wife, out of luck. Husbands could divorce their wife if the cooking was bad. Divorce. Certificate of divorce. If if you just grow cold, like, you know what? I'm tired of you, and -and so-and-so down the street looks better, like, divorce, certificate of divorce. So hardly anyone was actually committing adultery, and so they would feel very self-righteous about themselves, like, I'm not committing adultery. They did not care to read the Tenth Commandment that said, do not covet your neighbor's wife, and it's a heart issue. But when it came to the, commi- the commandment regarding adultery, they said, righteous, I'm righteous, I'm self-righteous, I'm fine. And Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. This is what Jesus means to say to us today. They would have never seen themselves as guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments. And here we are. Jesus says it's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. In Matthew 15, it says this, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, these are what defile a person, by, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Religion always wants to take that which is external and say, that's the problem. But Jesus always says, no, it's not food and drink that's defiling you, it's your heart. The problem is not outside of you. I want to blame culture, I want to blame politics, I want to blame you, you want to blame me, but the reality is it's inward. Our problem is us inside of us it's our it's our heart that's what jesus says in matthew 15 and here we are 
with a big problem. We have lustful hearts. Unless, like, you're still a little kid in elementary school, there are a few of you, like, the rest of us are guilty. We have lustful hearts. And I would like to stop for a second and take a deep breath and take stock, stock of this heart issue before we move forward, because this is the point of this whole Sermon on the Mount thing. It's, it's to take self-righteous people and make us poor in spirit. So I've got s- some questions. In the last month, I could say the last hour, the last week, in the last month, have you looked at a person as an object of your desire and lust? In the last month, have you looked at pornographic pictures or videos, either just straight up or a million other vehicles? In the last month, have you purposely dressed seductively in a way that would cause someone to desire you that's not your husband or wife? Like, you know it. You can, you can feel it. You can see it. When you dress this way, you get attention. If you're married, have you flirted with someone who's not your spouse or, or have some sort of emotional connection? Like there's an emptiness in your heart and you're, you're connecting, you're, you're getting that intimacy met, but with somebody that's not your spouse. Maybe, maybe it's a long lunch or maybe it's a uh, text string or some, some way. You're communicating with somebody that's it's not your husband or wife and you're married. Or maybe you're single and you're, you're communicating with somebody that's married and getting that emotional need met. And last month, you read romantic novels, looking, there's this emptiness in this, in this soul of your heart, and you just keep looking to fill up that hole, and you're reading these romantic stories, like, trying to get that filled up. That's, you say, that's not pornography, but it kind of feels like it to me. If you're older than elementary school, we're guilty. As you hear these, these questions, these horrible questions that we have to ask one another, we're guilty. Every one of us is guilty. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do, not to feel guilt and shame, we'll talk about that in a minute, but instead to honestly understand ourselves. And I have to ask the question, is what is our problem? <laughs> there are so many other issues where I'd say some of you really struggle with this, and you might struggle with this or you might not, but with this one, let's face it, we all have struggled with this. And so why? Why is it so powerful? We're talking about worship, ultimately. Worship. Paul links this to idolatry. And basically, what, what's happening in worship, false worship, idolatry, is we're taking a created thing, a good thing created in God's image, and elevating it to an ultimate thing and saying, I'm going to treat that like my God. And I got to tell you, with everything else that we're tempted to worship in life, this is the number one, and I'll tell you why, because we are created in the image of God. You can worship cars. You can worship money, you can worship other stuff, but if you really want to get down to it, we worship other people because we are created in the image of God and therefore we are bearers of glory. We are. I love your dog, love my dog, awesome dog. I love my dog. My dog's 10, doesn't have long in this world, probably another five years at best. I'm going to grieve like no other when dear Molly passes into whatever happens to dogs. (laughs) Glory. But she's not created in the image of God. But you are. And so I'm tempted. I'm tempted to elevate you up. I'm tempted to elevate my children. I'm tempted to elevate people in lustful ways into, because your image, your image is beautiful. And I'm tempted and you're tempted because it's the closest thing we have to the real thing. And it's the closest thing we have to intimacy, this longing that we have that's God-given 
But when we misappropriate, it is addictive and destructive. We're talking about worship. The word for lust in the New Testament is epithemia, and it literally means over-desire. Amped-up desire. Ridiculous desire. And this is what we're dealing with. In our culture, we've taken a normal God-given desire that God's given us, and we have amplified it and twisted it and made it really kind of over and above. In C.S. Lewis's incredible book, I cannot recommend this book enough, Mere Christianity, he says this, chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. Agreed? What is it? Well, he defines it. Either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or abstinence. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> everything within us, everything in our culture says that's ludicrous. Now this is so difficult, he says, and so contrary to our instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong or our instincts, as it now is, broken, is gone wrong. Of course, being a Christian, I think it's the instinct which has gone wrong. Desire's not wrong, but what we're doing with it. For example, he says, you can get a large audience together for a striptease act. This is true. I mean, drive around the city. That is to watch a girl undress on the stage. Then he says this. Now imagine, though, a country or a place <laughs> that was so obsessed with, with food that they would gather in, a, in an environment like a, like a, a strip joint, and, and instead of like a woman undressing, they would have like plates of food come out covered at first, and then while the music is gyrating, the lights are flashing, they would un unveil like bacon. And people would be like, yes, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to eat the bacon. I'm just going to get really close to it. Like, instead of certain type of dances, you know, they, like, come really close with the bacon, and you'd smell it and go, oh, here's $20. You know, like, I'm just going to let it rain up in here over mutton chops and bacon. This is what he says. Now, he would say, what would you say about a culture that did that with the, the appetite for food? You guys are weird, man. You're weird about food. You know what I mean? Like, and that's true. And I, I'm weird about food. You are probably too. That's another way we medicate. Food's great, right? So it's another good idol. And so we love food. I'm a foodie. That's already weird. But that, that would be really weird. And what he's saying is that's how weird our appetite for sex has gotten. It's not just a normal desire. It's an over-desire. And we're not shocked by it anymore. But we should be. Today, from the passage, what I want us to see is three things. Jesus is calling us to fight, to flee, and to be fulfilled. Fight, flee, be fulfilled. First, fight. Fight lust through what you see, where you go, and what you do. First of all, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to look at another human being, male and female. If you're a woman, it's not wrong to notice a man and say, he's actually very attractive. He's a handsome guy. To even appreciate, that is a very handsome man. It is not wrong, believe it or not, for a man to observe the reality of a beautiful woman and go, that is a beautiful woman. You could even glorify God and say, like, God, wow, you did amazing here. Like, I mean, that's, that is a beautiful woman. And, and still not have lusted. 
The problem is not with looking and saying, glory, Lord, I mean, you're a good artist, wow. It's when you start to go, wow, I prefer her to you, Lord. I'm going to not just see her, I'm going to imagine her undressed, other ways. I'm going to obsess, I'm going to get my mind going. It's not the first look, maybe not even the second, but it's the third. It's the mind of the imagination long after she's gone, long after he's gone, and what we do with that. That's the problem. He's not forbidding us to look, but he says this in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. We, in our culture, we don't even believe in hell. So we don't fear the danger. But Jesus is saying, you're in danger. Lust, a lustful heart, somebody given over to all their desires without Christ, that's where, that is the danger which you face, separation from God for all of eternity. And lust, a lustful heart, utterly given over to lust, that, that's the direction in which you're headed. Now, is Jesus literally calling us to tear out your, your right eye or your left eye? I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm pretty good with both eyes. Like, one is actually worse than the other, but I, I could do a pretty good job lusting with the left as well as the right. So this is hyperbole. He is not saying gouge out your eye or cut off your arm because the human heart's bad enough. Even blind people probably still lust some way. Origen, one of the early church fathers, actually did this. He self-mutilated himself, and they said at the Council of Nicaea, don't do that. Like, this is wrong. Don't. In 325, they said to the whole church, this is not what Jesus meant. So church, this is not what Jesus meant. So what did he mean? Cut off your foot in Matthew, later in Matthew. Cut off your hand. Gouge out your eye. Well, this is what he means. Fight. Fight lust fight it. And some of you say, I've been fighting it, and I'm still fighting it. Well, if you're fighting it, I want to encourage you to keep fighting this issue in the heart of lust. Why? I have other friends that don't follow Jesus, several actually, that I'm really good friends with, and when they talk about this, they think I'm crazy to fight lust. When they get out their phones and try to show me a picture or something, I'm like, nope, no, I don't, no, I don't want to see that. Uh, they think I'm insane. Why? Because they're not fighting it. It's their national pastime. It's something that they have great pleasure in. And so the fight is the presence of what? It, it proves what? The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I know you're tired of like, man, I, I talk to my friends, I talk to my brothers. Every time we get together, all we say is like, I'm still struggling, I'm still battling this problem in my heart. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still. The fight is part of the process in which you continue to grow in the Holy Spirit. The fight is, by definition, evidence of God's work in your life. Don't tire of fighting this heart disposition of lust. John Stott I've been reading his commentary throughout this series, says this, was Jesus advocating, what he was advocating was not literal physical self-maiming, but a ruthless self-denial, not mutilation, but mortification. Mortification of our sin is, is what the Puritans would call killing the sin, what Paul said, put to death the sinful nature in Romans, and that's what it's talking, dying to the sinful nature. 
Not mutilation, mortification is the path of holiness. He taught that mortification means to reject sinful practices so resolutely that we put them to death. And while Jesus isn't calling us for literal gouging, what else could he have meant than to fight? But we are too cozy. If Jesus would have said these things to these people 2,000 years ago, how much more so would he say to a group of people that literally have access to any conceivable image or video at our very fingertips? How much more would he say that we are in danger? Killing lust, fight. Next is this, flee. Flee. There's a famous story in the Old Testament of Joseph, the son of Jacob, the youngest son. He had that fancy coat, the coat of many colors. Apparently, the coat was loud and obnoxious, and so was Joseph's attitude about it, and so his brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Later, he found himself, by God's grace, in the house of Potiphar, serving in Egypt, right? He is serving there faithfully. Potter's wife, Potiphar's wife, keeps coming to him and trying to trap him in an adulterous relationship, and he won't do it until finally he, he, she reaches out and grabs his cloak. You know the story. Rips it off and leaves him naked. He flees. She accuses him of trying to rape her and to come unto her, him, and he suffers this injustice. And of course, this story represents the passion in which we are called to fight this heart disposition and to flee, to flee, some of you need to flee a relationship. There are these triggers. Some of you have been caught in emotional affairs that are this close to leading you to adultery and you need to flee. Some of you need to flee certain friendships, parts of town, habits, social media sites. There are sites, social media that maybe trigger you. Some people can be fine on them. There's freedom. But if it's triggering you to like start looking at images that you shouldn't be looking at and trolling people or like looking at things that are leading you down a path, then flee. Give it up. Better to delete that app than to see your whole body go into hell. Better to get rid of your smartphone and like go back to the early 2000s and be that weirdo with the flip phone like, you know, everybody's in-laws. Like, why do you do that? That's weird. <laughs> because I'd rather have a stupid phone than, than go to hell. You say, well, it's all grace. I know, and I believe that, man. You're going to hear me preach all grace this morning, but Jesus is warning us. What would he warn us? Better, better to have a stupid, outdated phone. Better to not even have that account on that social media site if that's what's triggering you. Better to quit your job. Better to throw away your computer. Better, better, better. That's what Jesus says. Fight, flee. There can be no truce with pornography. There can't be. You say, I know, and I keep trying, but it keeps, but no truce, no peace, no hard drives filled with it, no, no compromise here. It just can't be. You're saying, like, I can be perfect overnight. That's not, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, no, no truce. We can't be at peace with this. There's no truce with an emotional affair. If you're married, there's no truce with an adulterous relationship. You can't be at peace with this. Jesus is saying this. You must fight. You must flee. How, though? How can I get there? I don't want, to, I, my heart is given over. How? 
the answer is being fulfilled. And this is not an easy answer. There is no easy answer, by the way. You have to fight, you have to flee, and you have to be fulfilled. Ultimately, what are we seeking for in fulfillment in in, in all this, in in all the temptation that we have here? Ultimately, we are seeking what only God can give. St. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O God. It is your insecurity that's driving you here. Men, you don't want to hear that, but it's true. Your need for control, your insecurity, your fear, your anxiety at work, your long days, all the pressure you're under, it is that's what's driving you towards this. And what's happening is, instead of going into healthy places, healthy community, healthy friendships, healthy, healthy marriage, and a healthy relationship with God, we're actually feeling close to the Lord and, be, and feeling close to other people. We are running to the easier thing, which always has promises, but always lies and traps you. And you know it. Sin is beautiful in a moment, and then it traps us. And whatever you're battling right now, get it, the insecurity you have right now, the, the, the depression or addiction or whatever relief you're getting from this right now, you think, I'll just be able to get rid of this later. Like marriage is going to cure it or, or whatever, that job promotion or if our marriage gets better or this or this or this. It won't. There's no easy cure to just turning off this. And the problem is not that we have too much desire. Our problem is where we are placing our desire. You're looking in the wrong place. It's like the old country western song, looking for love in all the wrong places. This is what we're doing, friends. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're like people, like homeless people that live in this parking lot. The current owners of this building constantly accuse us of like trying to like keep homeless people here. They literally are upset with us because they, they think, I, I, I literally told a lady on the phone once, I wish we were guilty of what you're accusing us. As Christians, we should be guilty of what you're accusing us of, but we're not. She's like, you're leaving food in the bushes for the homeless people. I'm like, I wish we were that generous and that guilty. We're, we're not. But we're like the homeless folks that will climb into, they just locked them up so they can't get in there, and, and, and scrounging through rotten trash with maggots in it thinking, there's a great meal in here. This is what we do. But meanwhile, there are pleasures at God's right hand. There is fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a gourmet meal. There is the foodie of all foodie meals at at the pleasures of Jesus Christ, and yet we're settling for garbage, man. False intimacy that's just leading us into addiction and depression and even greater sadness. It's like drinking poison and you think you're drinking fresh water, right? I mean, you know it's true. We keep buying this lie. Keep buying it. I thank God for the gospel, though, because it's so freeing in two ways, and we need this. Have you ever noticed how judgmental we are about other people's sins sexually? (laughs) We are so judgmental of other people. And yet we, we're like those Pharisees and those scribes. I've never committed adultery. I've never done this. Jesus says you're, you're in danger of hell because of the lust in your heart. And so first of all, the judgment has to go. He who has been forgiven much loves much. I can't judge anyone in this entire nation for their sexual sin considering what I've done in my heart. 
I've never committed adultery. I did not have sex before marriage. And I'm telling you, I'm guilty of hellfire because of my heart. I'm guilty. I can't judge anyone. I have been forgiven an infinite debt. How on earth could I ever judge anyone else? You say, oh, we can't uphold truth? Yes, we must uphold truth. We must. I just define marriage between a man and a woman. That's how God defines it. I uphold that truth. But I can't judge anybody. I can't judge anyone. Not me. I can't. This is the truth. This is the truth. But I can't judge anyone, personally. I can point them to Jesus Christ. Because that's where salvation is. The gospel frees us, friends, from being judgmental. We are so gracious with ourselves and so judgmental towards other people, but the gospel says, no, you got it wrong. Look at your own heart more than you look at other people. A, and then B, it frees us from shame. And you know what the sexual revolution kept saying in the 60s? In the 60s, they said, all, all your problems are this. You guys are so hung up, and all you got to do is just do whatever you want with whomever you want. Free love, man. Do it, do it, do it with whoever, whenever, wherever. Quit feeling shame. Do you know any baby boomers? <laughs> Some of you? Some of you are baby boomers. You were there. Like, you lived it. You were at Woodstock. How did that work? No shame? LSD cured all our shame, man. No, it didn't work. We are filled with shame. We are so filled with shame. Where do we go with it? Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me. Jesus Christ bore our sins, friends. Jesus, the same one that's warning us about hell, is the one who said, I don't want them to ever face that penalty. I will take it for them. I will receive the just penalty for their sins. Bearing our shame, taking our sin. Friend, the longer you live in shame, the more you're going to be trapped in this problem. Shame is what often drives us there. You're liberated from it. You're forgiven of it all. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen? We don't have to live in shame, but we can no longer be slaves to sin. That's what Paul says. We are free in Christ. No longer slaves. A couple applications. Friends, until you talk you say, like, this is between me and God. It's a hard issue. Yes, it is, but I promise you, there's enough studies, there's enough experience. Until you open your mouth and come out of the dark and into the light, you're gonna continue to be stuck. You are. You gotta confess this, and you can't do it alone, and you can't do it. Honestly, you think Joe Lewis is big? The ensnarement of lust is much bigger. If you think you can battle this and just beat this yourself without the Holy Spirit, you're crazy. It will take the power of God in your life through the Holy Spirit and through a community of people that love you. That's what it's going to take. You need a community. We have a group of men. Brothers, I've got great news. There's a group of men that meet in this church weekly. And they gather to have real community. Not false intimacy, true intimacy. Where they're honest with one another. Real. And not just like, ah, doesn't matter. No, we're going to fight this together. We're going to confess when we've blown it. We're going we're to encourage one another. We're going to live in the light. That's, that's the kind of community where there can be real growth. That's open to you. That's available to you. All you got to do is literally come talk to me, email me, text me, come by the church, talk to me, set up an appointment with me. We, we can get you connected to a group like this. 
Are you willing to fight it, though? Let's pray.